With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Clap Your Hands Podcast, a true off-season edition of the Clap Your Hands Podcast. We are in those dog days of summer, the dog days of the off-season, but as I always say, brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Make sure you're downloading that Odyssey app. Make sure you leave a five-star review. Now's the time to do it. It's the off-season. You got time to burn. You're checking for updates. Leave those five-star reviews. Brought to you, of course, by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And brought to you by uh, a, an off-season version of Kyle Newbeck. Man, Kyle, we talked for like 10 minutes before the pod. Not a lot going on right now with the Sixers. The, they are really in a holding pattern as we just kind of sit and wait. Yeah, off-season Kyle Newbeck. Just excited to have his sectional finally in the house. <laughs> that when we get done the pod, I can go and sit on a real couch and stretch out. And, you know, it's just... Is the house all put together now? Hell no, man. There's no. still lots of stuff to do. But I will say, you know, you only see what happens in this room. I know. We only get to but, see this in the occasional Louie appearance. We're not we're not yeah. seeing the rest of it. But there's a lot. There's been a lot of baby steps and we're getting there. So that's more than Sixers basketball. That's kind of my yeah. focus in mid-July. Like <laughs> when we moved into our house, we probably moved in, I don't know, maybe like two, two and a half years ago at this point. I feel like it takes a full year when you move to truly feel like you have. Oh, house don't tell up. me that, man. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to let you know. Like, I, I just, I think you got a little bit, but, uh, but that aside, and hopefully before, uh, before camp, and I, I, I'm thinking Eagles training camp, but I mean for you, Sixers training camp. Hopefully before then, you have your house all put together. You get some time to enjoy that nice sectional. Uh, we actually do have some stuff to talk uh, to talk about today, despite the fact James Harden is still on the ri- roster, despite the fact Damian Lillard is still on the Blazers. We got some Nick Nurse updates. Nick Nurse uh, doing a bit of a media tour in Las Vegas uh, during the summer league. He was on Tyrese Maxey's pod. He did some interviews on uh, NBA radio. And one quote that I wanted to talk to you about today, uh, let me pull it up right here. Um, he was on NBA radio. And he said, I think that there's a lot of talk about what the roster looks like today, but I don't think that will be the same roster that hits training camp. So I I go to you, Kyle, and ask, is this just coach speak? Is this just, you know, Howie Roseman saying the roster is always in flux? Is this or, or is this something where 
the roster we're looking at today, like Nick Nurse genuinely expects it to be a very different roster. Well, so I think there's truth in both those things, right? Where I think there is uh, an urging from the front office, people who really matter in the organization saying the off season's not over, right? It's mid July. Mm-hmm. There's so much time between now. I know it doesn't feel that way. And two months is not an abundance of time, but in NBA terms, it certainly is. And We've talked about it a hundred times. The Harden move is the big domino for everything else. If they trade Harden, they're going to have probably several new players or those several players are going to get rerouted for a star player. And so even if it's you know just swapping out James Harden for another big name, that in itself is a significant roster change. It's the biggest one you can make aside from trading Joel Embiid, which... I think we would both agree it's extremely unlikely to happen. Yes. So at least this offseason. I and I just look, I think this team, the message from within has been, yeah, we haven't done mo- many big moves, or you could argue any big moves this offseason, but we still have until I don't there's not an exact date yet. We still have until like September 20th or 25th before we even see those guys regularly and yeah there'll be some probably some pickup games toward the end of the summer before training camp and these guys will get reacquainted in that way but i don't think they really feel urgency i shouldn't say that they certainly feel urgency to improve the team but they don't feel like they need to rush it because making a deal just so it's settled in mid-july and they don't have to do anything the rest of the summer essentially is not how they're carrying themselves. Well, it's interesting when you use the the term urgency to an extent. I think you're you're right to say it's not that they don't feel urgency. I just think their path to urgency is feeling that the best path is waiting. Like I don't think they're sitting up in there and not caring. They feel it's an urgent yeah. matter to figure out what's happening with Harden. But the best path, it seems they believe, is to hold on to him. And what I think is interesting about Nick Nurse's comment, and of course it ties into the James Harden thing, as you said, is we've talked about this James Harden thing from so for so many angles. What's Daryl want? What's Embiid think? What does James want? What's the trade package? All those things. We haven't really brought up the Nick Nurse aspect of this. And Nick Nurse, as a new head coach, just hired, just went through the interview process with Daryl. Like I remember when the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni, Carson Wentz was still on the roster. And when he was had his introductory press conference, I believe he was asked about it, or at least early on in, in his tenure. But I am sure that when they interviewed Nick Sirianni, they knew like, okay, this is what's going to happen with Carson. We can talk about it internally, but, but this is what's going to happen. We saw this in Houston uh, with uh, Udoka, right? It, was, it seemed that the Houston won at Harden. They were asking all their head coaches, and reportedly uh, Udoka did not. So my question to you, and just like something to think about for for the listeners is, like, what does Nick Nurse want? And what does Nick Nurse know? Like, do you think when Nick Nurse was in that meeting with Daryl Morey and they were deciding, you know, interviewing each other about taking this job, like, do you think at that point, Nick knew the outcome of what's going, of what was going to happen with James Harden? Like, did he take this job thinking Harden's not going to be here? And that's why when you asked him at the press conference about Maxi being a facilitator, he talked about like, yeah. Maxi has to get better as a facilitator. Or do you think he expects Harden to be on this roster? Because I think that's such a key part of all this. Like, what does the head coach want? Or what does he expect? 
Well, so I think he probably came here preparing to potentially lose Harden, but it might not be for the reason that we're talking about right now, right? I, I think when Nurse was hired and they would have had those discussions, it seemed more credible that Harden might leave to go to Houston in free agency and sign somewhere. Yeah. And it was not going to be because the Sixers under the guise of, hey, we, we tampered last season and can't do that this year. I don't want to pay penalties or anything else. And evidently irritated Harden's camp. I don't think Nick Nurse would have prepared for that. But I, does that matter? Is it any really functionally different from him? for him? Not really. In fact, this is probably the superior route for him in many ways because if Harden does leave, if he had left him free agency, you have little recourse to replace mm-hmm. his production. At least now you can say, all right, if they trade him, he's probably getting multiple pieces back, multiple role players who will help the team and sort of help him establish the baseline and the culture that he wants to. So I think it ends up working out better for him. But no, I don't think he took the job <laughs> expecting this exact scenario. But maybe you could argue, you know, Harden is just kind of a a unique guy and can be set off in various ways. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I would say I'm probably more like that than that, where that just get in weird moods and get pissed off by Amen. stupid wife, things that I shouldn't if evidenced by how I handle myself on Twitter. So, <laughs> <laughs> or I guess threads and everywhere else these days. So yes. I, yeah. I, I don't know that this is something that he planned for specifically, but I think, Nick Nurse is not a guy, if we talk about, you know, his adaptability and his flexibility and so on and so forth, would he rather have the superior talent? Of course he would. But I don't think he would look at this situation and be like, man, this sucks. I'm screwed. The team's not going to be good. I think he probably looks at it as, all right, this is another problem that I have to try to solve. And, you know, if, if I have this roster with James leading alongside Joel, Here's the idea that I have. If I don't, then I'm going to have to be a little more adaptable and we're going to really experiment. We're going to do X, Y, Z. And so I think that's probably more how he's thinking about this. See, but to me, that seems like a bit of an issue because to, to tie it back. For to sure. The, yeah. The t- to tie it back to the Eagles thing, like the offense, Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen were going to run their first year together with Carson Wentz would have been very different than the, the offense they ran with Jalen Hurts. And I understand it's a quarterback and there, there's differences there with NFL to NBA. But let's be honest, like Nick Nurse is preparing for his first year as head coach. The day one of training camp, he wants to go into that camp, that practice, like confident in what he wants to do, send a clear message as to what the team's plan is. And between now and then, and, and in training camp, from training camp to day one or, or however long, like he needs to implement his system, what he wants to do. Tyrese Maxey, had an interesting quote uh, talking to him to to Nick Nurse, saying that he really respects that from going against Nick Nurse, like what he tries in practices and stuff, like or in games, he you see implemented in the playoffs and those type of things. Nick Nurse likes to have a, 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 a you know big big hit to the pro Doc Rivers contingent. On I know this that, that was that was tough to see. Doc, Doc's <laughs> been taking some uh, some some strays from people this offseason for sure, but Nick Nurse has a system he's going to want to implement. Every day, James Harden is on this roster where they're not sure he is going to be on the roster in the regular season. He is potentially wasting hours and time of his day 
building an offense or building a system that will be thrown out of the thrown out the door the second training camp starts. So from a Nick Nurse perspective, like we can sit here and try and say, yes, hold on to James Harden until you get the best deal. And Daryl Morey can feel that's the best leverage play. But from a team building perspective and from making Nick Nurse be the best version of himself as a coach and the best version of the team, it's it's kind of handcuffing him because you're right. He has to have two different plans right now. But one of those plans is not going to be used. So he is wasting his time, however much of the day it is, of working on a plan with James Harden that might not be used. So I'm going to offer a counterpoint that will bore some of our listeners. But Elliot, as a soccer guy, you'll appreciate it. I have a soccer reference for you later. So I'm excited you brought that up. All right, great. So, you know, I think it's probably overrated that Nick Nurse, as a coach generally, needs like all this prep time for well, this is how we're going to play and we got to make these big changes. So I root for Liverpool, as you know, as some of the listeners know. As wow. Well. Glory chaser, top six Kyle over here. Listen, buddy, I actually <laughs> went over there as a teenager <laughs> when they were not all that good. So I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. So, well, my team's in the championship right now, so I have no room to talk. That's on, tough. On so anyway, so Jurgen Klopp, who manages Liverpool coming into the last season, they wanted to make a formation shift. They wanted to play 4-2-3-1 rather than a 4-3-3. And so for people who don't really follow the sport, essentially they wanted to add another defensive midfielder mm-hmm. and then play more guys in a kind of a diamond or like an inverted triangle up front. And the logic behind it was, well, we have two guys who can control the midfield back there and we have to accommodate all these people coming in. And this is with a roster that was essentially static. They didn't really add anyone that summer. And so it was, hey, we have the whole offseason plan for this, all of training camp or preseason for them to work on it, early part of the season, all that. And then they took the field and – it didn't fucking work and they weren't nice. very good and they had to abandon it and they did something different on the fly, which is to say Nick nurse might have an overarching plan for this team, whether Harden is here, whether Harden's not here, whether it's what he really planned for or like a plan B and they could take the floor and it might suck and not work. And they're going to have to adjust it regardless. And the point of hiring someone like nurse is not, for him to spend all offseason working on one grand plan and like, hey, that's it. That's all he needs to focus on. Yes, it would probably be easier for him if he's just focusing on one plan A and they come in and they drill it and it's just this is how they play. This is what we do if you're Nick Nurse. But like that's not how coaching generally works, especially in the NBA where it's an 82-game season. You play so many different teams. Back-to-backs, three games and four nights where you're adjusting lineups, you're adjusting this, you're adjusting that. The general structure of the team, I think the setup of it is probably overrated. Like to say, oh, we're going to be a a heavy pick-and-roll team Mm -hmm. is a pretty easy decision. Now, what are the wrinkles inside of that? That you can't really know until you're in these practices and you see, oh, these two guys work really well together. Or you're in the preseason and maybe a guy, you know, could be Jaden Springer who we're going to get to at some point. Maybe he made a big leap over the offseason and you see, oh, he can actually do this a little bit more this year. 
or maybe someone didn't progress as much as you'd like. So an example of that, and this is specific to Nick Nurse, I think a lot of people in Toronto after Scotty Barnes's rookie year were expecting him to make a big leap forward. And the word out of there, and I can say this definitively, this is not coming from Nick Nurse. He didn't sound like this was given to me by him. This mm-hmm. is just out there in NBA circles. People in the Raptors organization were fucking pissed because Scotty essentially didn't work on his game between his first and second season. And not even not only was not improving, but I would argue worse in his mm-hmm. second year than his first year. And so those type of things you can't really plan for either. You say, well, this is the you just want everyone to be on this constant upward trajectory. Well, that's not how that works either. And so that's another thing that you can't really plan for. You can hope for it and you can want it. But all this is to say, yeah, of course, if you just had that's why the nuggets like everyone's talking up continuity and they they can just keep building and building. And then they they bring in a couple new additions and they sort of know who they are and what they are and what their main stuff is. Yes, that's great. But I do think for the average team, for most teams, for a a team that needs to make the leap from pseudo contender to real contender, you got to figure this stuff out over the course of the season. So I don't think this has too dramatic of an impact on, you know, Nick Nurse's job. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, so I agree, and your point is correct. And also, Doc's going to catch another sh- shrapnel here, another stray. Like <laughs> Doc's Doc's weakness was, and you listen to his former play, player say it, he was not good at adjustments. Like adjustments on the fly, that was not him. He had his plan. If it worked, it worked. If it didn't, and he's very good at setting that plan. A hundred percent. Yes, and he's won a lot of games. And again, we are. I am pro Doc. We are a pro Doc pod for the most part. But so while I agree with you that the 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 important the really important games like where Nick Nurse is going to earn his money will be the second round of the playoffs. Like that is where by then he has to have something in place where they're going to win four of those seven games. But so while I think they have all year to do that, I still think there is an extreme benefit for Nick Nurse to know if James Harden is going to be on his roster or not. I, I just, I do like, so while you're right that come training camp, they'll figure it out and you can figure it, whatever. I think there is a, a balance between Maury saying, no, 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 I'm going to wait and get the best deal. And it probably is still the best path because if he waits and gets the best deal, then the players coming back will help Nick Nurse as well. If he just gets rid of James Harden and gets nothing of value back, well then, I mean, Nurse could have all the time to plan if he wants. If he doesn't have the right players, that's not going to matter. So I still think holding on to him is correct. 
But when Nick Nurse hints at roster changes and all this and that, like it does impact his offseason planning to an extent. So I just, it's an interesting wrinkle. I feel like we haven't really talked about with this. But the 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 other part of that, to, to flip it to Harden, like there's so many conflicting reports coming out about this. He, you know, uh, I think it was Dave McMiniman said the Sixers are kind of planning or, or I don't I mean, even know if it's conflicting. It's just, there's so many reports, period. Yes. <laughs> it's a, I, it's a good the, way to phrase it's it. It's like a different flavor of the same report over and well, over again. What I always think about is like, I'm so in the weeds on this. I'm like every report I see, I analyze every single word, blah, blah, blah. So for me, like the wording of one report, like is so impactful compared to the wording of another report. I wonder from a casual perspective, if it's still just like, yeah, he wants to go to the Clippers, like, and that's it. So I just, there's been a lot like the Dave McMiniman report, Ramona Shelburne, I believe said that James Harden still wants to be in LA. Uh, Sam Amick or Amick, I believe it is, came out and said that he definitively still wants to be in LA. Um, I mean, as someone that also, you know, you're, you're covering the team closely, sees these reports every day back and forth, like... What what what's your thoughts on on the Harden uh, roller coaster of reports? Yeah. So first of all, I want to make clear that all those reporters that you named are all well sourced and yep. you know, talk to lots of people. So not if I say anything to the effect of I'm tired of all the reports, it's not disparaging them. It's just the nature of the news cycle that we live in. But yeah, it is one of those situations where it's like. There's not really anything meaningful that's happening or that is an update. I think being in Vegas for summer league, a lot of these people are just they're around more front office people, team personnel for a longer period of time than they are for, I'd say, like most of the calendar year, because they're all in the same place for essentially like a full week, week and a half. And you're you're surrounded by so many teams and so many people. So of yeah, course, like, like combine, you, it's like the NFL can, combine. Yeah. yeah, it's like any big event that just brings league personnel together for any sport. The draft, mm-hmm. summer league, the combine, all kinds of stuff like that. So I'm not surprised that a lot of reporting is coming out, but I think it's instructive that they're all sort of saying the same thing. It, the phrasing's different, obviously, and these people talk to different people. Like, I think uh, Sam Amick has seemed to be particularly plugged into the Harden side of things. Mm-hmm. I think he was one of the early people who, when the this first came out that James kind of wanted out, I think he was one of the first people to get to the subject of, well, why does he want out? What's his problem with yep. the Sixers specifically? And you could tell that he was informed in part by, you know, people around Harden. And that's important context compared to, you know, here's what the trade market is. They're all, it's all valuable for different reasons. But still, at the end of the day, the the facts here are, I wouldn't say the same, but they're similar to when we've talked about it pre-draft or I'd say around the draft, around the start of free agency in that they say that he could come back. They're still working on potential trades with him. Market is not super robust, or at least they're not getting the offers that it would require for them to make moves. And people interpret that differently, right? There'll be some people who get on podcasts or write articles or go on TV, what have you, and say, 
an unreasonable price and the same or different person gets the same information and just says Daryl's setting a high price and is not going to trade James for anything. So all this is essentially a media literacy conversation, which is yes. just a really boring thing for most people to think about. End of the day, brass tacks, nothing is really changing. The Sixers like James Harden as a player would be happy to bring him back, would be happy to trade him if they get a return that they feel makes the team either as good as they are right now, ideally better, and help set them up for the long term. That's about it. Well, what's funny when you phrase that James Harden thing, and I think you're right to phrase it that way, like the Sixers like James Harden, they would trade him if they get a deal that they like. You could apply that to every single player on the like roster. Like the whole league. It, yeah, in every every single player in every sport. Like the Eagles are not going to trade Jalen Hurts. But if some team calls and offers eight first-round picks and Justin Herbert, like, yeah, they're going to consider it. So I, I do think you're right that the Sixers' stance on this has not changed. But my kind of read on this, and tell me if this is too tinfoil hat, like spending too much time on Twitter. I And I'll piggyback off what I said in the last pod. I think this this thing with James Harden has been a disaster for him. The Houston thing ended up being a somewhat embarrassing thing the way it played out. There is not that market for him. I don't know if his agent's doing a poor job. I don't know what's happening, but it feels like this is not being managed well by James Harden. I believe the idea, and I think the Sixers do want him back, but I really think it benefits James Harden for the perception out there to be the Sixers really want him back and they want, like they're trying to convince him and they're at the white party trying to convince him to come back. And Joel says what he says. I think that really benefits James. So I wonder how much of the, like the Sixers really want him. They're going to do everything to keep him type of thing is the agent saying to trying to make it seem like James Harden has a lot of teams interested in him, as opposed to what the reality is, is that the Clippers would trade for James Harden. If it's like a package where they don't give up a ton, and the Sixers will will keep Harden unless they get an offer they really like. But in reality, I think the Sixers aren't like dying to get James Harden back. I don't think the Clippers are dying to get James Harden. And there, there's trying to there, he's trying to create this market or this perception that a lot of people want James. I just don't know if that's the truth. I think the reality is James will be back with the Sixers because he's under contract and he's opted in on what is essentially a team friendly deal at this point. Or if the Clippers blow him away. They'll trade him, but but that's where I think it's at. I don't think this is two teams desperately wanting James. I think both teams are kind of lukewarm on it. I would say I don't agree that anything is pushing up the perception of James right now because he is who he is. We've talked about mm -hmm. this a thousand times where the whole thing, the, the game right now is really the Sixers just saying to Harden and to other teams – well, we don't care about James quitting on two previous teams, and we don't think he'll do that here because he doesn't have the leverage to do so this time. And I think that's probably correct because I think if James Harden comes into training camp and is pitching a fit and not, like, or doesn't show up or he's being disruptive, he's out of shape, whatever, pick a reason that he would screw up training camp and preseason for them that will materially impact his future because then that's just, it turns into another example of look at this fucking guy who's never won anything, who chokes in the playoffs, isn't serious about the situation that he's in. And the second that everything isn't catered exactly to his liking 
is just going to stomp his feet, take his ball, and go home. And Mm -hmm. that's not a guy who's going to get paid any kind of serious money next offseason. Now, I think all parties to this point, to my knowledge, have done a good job of essentially saying they're working together on potential trades. It's been an open dialogue with Harden. And there has not been pushback. Like One thing I think is important in these reports with all the suggestions that Harden maybe is a little more likely to come back now, I don't think you've heard anything from Harden's camp to say he's going to be like that disruptive asshole presence if he's back here in late September. And that to me shows you they know the stakes here. They know that he can't have that out there because then his value will really go through the floor. And then the Sixers will be like, well, fuck it. We'd just rather deal with that than trade for, you know, some poo-poo platter right, of like second-round picks and expiring contracts, whatever it is. Like, they'll just play the season out and and Daryl will deal with it. So, you know, I don't – listen, I don't know. It, this, the, ro- the roller coaster continues. That's what we know. The roller coaster <laughs> will continue with this. And, again, I love rumors. I love updates. I'm ready for something to happen on this. Daryl, don't make us wait until uh, training camp for this to come to an end. So while we wait for training camp and we listen to Nick Nurse's every word, the Sixers continue to play basketball. They're out in Las Vegas. They're at Summer League. Unfortunately, I was not able to watch their most recent game. I was on. I was on. Oh, no. Oh, you couldn't watch Summer League. Trust me, bro. Trust me. As fun as it was saying the Eagles offense lost the Super Bowl for four hours on the air, I would have rather watched uh, Turk Smith dropping 20 points and uh, coming off the bench, potential six-man role uh, that maybe he'll have this year. But you did watch it, and Jaden Springer had another awesome game. Seemed my guy Turk killed it once again. Um, they lost. Who cares? What's your out? What were your thoughts on uh, the most recent Sixer Summer League, uh, Springer and uh, and Turk specifically? Well, you say they lost, who cares? I personally, I care a lot because that guarantees they will not be in the summer league playoffs. And that uh, to me I, I want is more summer just, league though. That to me is like having a second birthday in the middle of the summer. Just like, it's like extra amazing. vacation for you. Just a, well, it's not even vacation because they still have to play another game, but I know at least I think they have to play another game. Yeah, they play today, but, I think. Well, they do play today, but I think they might have to play Sunday. The, the league is weird with it's a they just won't be in the tournament, which means they can't go to the final and play. Like that is weird. A sixth game, yeah, that, it's really stupid. But anyway, so I was happy about that. <laughs> I'm happy about them losing. I don't root mm-hmm. for wins and losses. In this case, I do. Two things: one, Terquavion Smith getting a technical foul for talking shit in the middle of a heater in a summer league game is maybe the most on-brand thing of the summer for him. So that was great. Wow. I am. Thank God I couldn't tweet while this was happening. I would have made some outrageous predictions. That is like an all time. I'm excited to hear that happen moment. So that was great. And then look, I think yesterday, so we're recording this on Friday morning. Thursday was the first time that I thought, Oh, Jaden Springer looks too good for this format. Wow. Like that's simply, good. That's certainly a change from the beginning of uh, of summer league. He was the best player on the floor for basically the entire game. Scores twenty nine points. There were some people when I I praised him in my article who were like, "Well, he he wasn't very good down the stretch and picked up his dribble and passed a few times he shouldn't have." And I agree with that. But the thing is, 
he's not going to be the point guard ever on this team. He's going to be somebody who's a secondary ball handler. who's going to take open threes, attack closeouts, defend, play in transition. And I think the more time he's got in the summer, the better and better he's looked. And it would look, I'm not sitting here saying, yeah, that guy's definitely going to be a rotation guy. I'm still lower on him than the fan base, I think. But seeing him start to hit some shots toward the end of summer league, great sign. He continues to do the things where his drives to the basket. I still have my concerns with him as a finisher inside. But his strength is a real legitimate asset on drives, and he's picking up foul after foul after foul, like constantly getting eight to ten free throws a game mm-hmm. in summer league which is a really good sign for a kid who he still has not even turned 21 yet. I think that's really important for us to think about that he is younger than some of the guys they which added is wild. as two-way guys. And I feel and, like he's about to turn 21 for like the third straight pod. Like the birthday yeah. has to be coming up at some point. It's this, I believe it's the 17th. So it's All right, so three more days. Three, three days. But his full third season, he will be 21 years old for. So – we, we talked a ton about, obviously, Maxi, far superior player and prospect to him. But a lot of the reason people are so excited about him is, oh, wow, he's doing X, Y, Z at this age. And so for Springer to be showing real growth and he's still only turning 21, that I think is a, a great, great sign. That so I think the question still have some for- runway with him. Yeah. And the, the youth point is is an outstanding one with him uh, when i did not watch him yesterday but the times i have watched him i don't come away thinking he's going to be like a top eight player nine player on a legit title team um but my question for you is as he does improve and he does look like the best player on the floor i think the sixers have to decide maybe not decide but like how do you view springer is this someone that they they should like view as a contributing player this year because they are a win now team. I know we talk a lot about windows and wanting to think about the next one while keeping this one open. Or is Springer just an asset at this point? Like if if he's killing it in summer league and dropping 29 points and looking like the best player on the floor, like do they capitalize on a time where there's so much trade uh, trade up in the air with Levine and the Harden thing and of course Dame and all that? Like do you think Springer in your eyes is a player they can count on or a player they should be excited about or an asset? Or is he some combination of both? I'm just going to say, I don't think he's really either at this point. I think the summer league stuff is all well and good. He's not going to have real value beyond, oh, he's a like a throw-in guy and maybe mm-hmm. you could sell some team on his upside. Unless he proves it in the NBA, right? Like there have been a lot of guys who have good runs in summer league and then stink it up against real competition. So he's got to prove that to some extent. He did look good at the end of the regular season of meaningless games last year was the G league finals MVP. All love it. These are all look, none of these things are that important, but they're better than him not having good games in the NBA. It's better than not being the G league finals MVP better than him looking like shit to start summer league Mm -hmm. in some respects. So all these things are, are positive signposts. The, The thing is going to be, when he's a regular NBA rotation player, can he make an impact on the floor? That's all that matters because until then, he's just a lottery ticket, both to the Sixers and to a team acquiring him. If he puts together maybe like a month of solid basketball, 
that changes a lot of things. You can go to a team and say, look, this is a real value add yeah. in this trade package. We don't have to give up, you know, this pick, this other guy. We're drawing a line because we're offering you Jaden Springer. That's the type of approach they can take if he's able to show consistent NBA results. Now, can he get there? I don't know because I still don't necessarily trust the jumper. I, I think he's had a couple of good games, but it's easy to get caught up in that and ignore, you know, he shot pretty poorly to open the summer league. So yeah. it's going to be all about how consistent can he be with the jumper? Cause once teams have to respect him, I think everything else that he can do is so much easier to do for him. Like he's not going to have to labor as hard when he's got to try to drive through guys who are already sagging off of him. And he's that we talked about the two footed leaping thing. Mm-hmm. If they can sit back and just wait for him at the rim, essentially, he's screwed. He's not going to be able to finish or draw fouls at a at a rate that will help him be an NBA player. But if he can bring that guy out to him where he can just go by a closeout, that's the difference between him being a real NBA player and a guy who's probably a, a quad A guy who's too good for the G League but not good enough for an NBA rotation. Well, went two for five uh, from three last game. So, you know, the Sixers will, will, will take that. Um, Turk, let's talk about him outside of his, what sounds like the ultimate franchise swag moment, getting a uh, tech for (laughs) being amazing. The smallest guy, the skinniest guy on the floor flexing at somebody through a lineup. That's why he got a tech by the way. Love it. What else did you see from him? Didn't start, which I thought was interesting. I did see that came off the bench, still played a ton of minutes. I think he was over 20 minutes or around there. Uh, why didn't he start number one? And then what'd you see from him? I think it's probably just wanting to give other guys looks that they're maybe less certain on, I would say, because Turk mm-hmm. at this point has clearly proved. built for the summer league setting. Yeah. I think there is a, a degree of overreacting to him because guys like him look a lot better in summer league than in some other settings. Now, that being said, I think he's shown plenty of on-ball juice. I think off-ball, he's obviously, like, as a catch-and-shoot guy, the range that he has, the clean mechanics, the quick release, the confidence, all that. The willingness, yeah. He's going to be fine as a, even if he doesn't shoot well right away, he's somebody that you keep as a long-term bet that as an Isaiah Joe type guy, that eventually Mm -hmm. that guy is going to shoot. And, you know, maybe they wouldn't even have him on a two-way if it wasn't for Isaiah Joe being cut last year. That'd probably be a different story. But the thing I don't get are all the people who are like, they need to guarantee him a roster spot. Do people understand he's already on a two-way contract, right? Yeah, so explain that to me because I I (laughs) don't fully understand it. So I think of it a little bit, almost like in a practice squad NFL way, where the Eagles can have somebody on a practice squad. They're on the roster. They own their rights. But a team, another team can sign that player away. Are you saying, and you can just explain it, like no one can take Turk from the Sixers? Not at the moment, no. I mean, but it, when he's on a two way, I'm saying. Yes, he's okay. signed to a two way contract. If he was just strictly like a G League guy, it'd be different. But he, there's, you can't just, you can actually trade two way contracts and trades. It doesn't really happen. So what's the difference just, between him being a two way guy and just having a roster spot outside of probably financial security? Well, yeah, I was going to say there's guaranteed money involved with the salary cap right. and things of that nature. 
So two-way contracts exist essentially to give more opportunities to up-and-coming players. It was partially, I don't remember if it was pre-COVID that it was implemented, but two-way deals were expanded as a result of COVID. They allow guys Mm -hmm. to be on the roster for, or on the NBA roster for longer. They could, they had more days that they could use. Yeah. Now this is another annoying new CBA thing that I am blanking on the exact terms right now, but they changed how the days are applied or how many days you can use. I believe it used to be, so I'm making up the numbers here, but it used to be something like you sign a guy to a two-way contract. He has, let's call it, 60 days he can be with the NBA team. Now, this is not he plays in 60 games. This is if he was at a practice on a Tuesday in January. That counts. That is one of his 60 days. If he's with the NBA team mm-hmm. in an official capacity for that day, he is that's one of his days. And that's how you sort. You run once you run up the 60 days, you either have to sign that guy to a standard NBA contract or they can only be used in the G League. And mm-hmm. so that would be the difference. If you really think that Terquavion Smith is going to be a regular rotation guy, essentially right away, you want to try to get him lined up on a contract sooner than later because then you're not worrying about uh, his limitation with days and that sort of thing. But that's also a problem that's not going to really matter until the middle of the regular season. Yeah. So the then you could argue the only reason to lock him into an NBA guaranteed contract and more likely like a guaranteed year and then some non-guaranteed mm-hmm. years after that is that you think he's going to be so good that his play whenever he's with the big club is going to cause somebody to offer him a real deal next offseason that will be more expensive than what you could get him for at like this very moment. To me, that's not that compelling because I think if Turk comes out and plays in preseason and shoots the lights out and then plays well in like mid-October, early November, the Sixers could then say, yeah, we're just going to sign him to a real deal. They could do what they did last season, leave a roster spot open, for flexibility or whatever, and then convert him to a standard deal. I think that's easy enough. So I don't think they need to rush to get him off of a two-way contract. Just yeah. Now. So I am one. I'm like a huge Turk guy. To me, and that's all good information. This seems like worrying about nothing. Like they have yeah. tons of options with this guy. They have the full sixty days. They can add him at whatever point. Like if Turk is good and it can help the NBA roster. He will be on there eventually. I'm even okay waiting the 60 days and doing it on day 59. Like, there's no reason to to rush this. But that is good information. So I teased a soccer question, and this is where it, where it comes in. I thought of this yesterday or a few days ago, and I think it's a brilliant idea, and I'm curious if, if you like it. So, Turk, I think he's somebody that, because of where he is at right now with the Sixers, he's not going to get a ton of minutes this season. Even if he's impressive, even if all these things – He's maxing out at eight, nine, 10 minutes a game. And that's probably a best case scenario for him. I remember when the Sixers were in the process, Sam Hinkie talked about the most valuable thing for a young player that is the hardest to get for them is minutes. And that was the benefit 
of what the Sixers did. They played a lot of players that wouldn't play on other teams, a lot of minutes, and guys developed. Covington, Grant, like those guys got a ton of minutes that they wouldn't have otherwise. And because of that, they were they were better players later on. Didn't benefit the Sixers, but better players later on. So you're a soccer fan. I'm a soccer fan. For those listening, what soccer does is they do a loan system where if, let's say, I'll use I'll use the Sixers here. The Sixers have Turk Smith. What they do in soccer is you can loan him out to another team. He plays for that team. He wears their jersey. He, he gets minutes with them. But the team still owns their right, and then he can come back in a year. Why wouldn't the NBA do this? Like, why? Like, do you think a loan system in like they do in soccer would work in the NBA? Where Turk Smith, he goes and plays for pick whatever terrible team you want to pick. Charlotte, like one of those teams that is not going to be competitive, but they get a better player. They get somebody that will make them in theory more competitive. Turk is maybe not the best example because you don't know what he's going to be. The Sixers get a ton of minutes for Turk. Charlotte gets a player they don't have otherwise that might help them be more competitive. And then in a year or whatever the loan, the term of the loan is, the Sixers can take him back if they want. They get a more developed player. They get a player that's played a lot. It really does work in soccer. Like you see it. Now, a lot of times guys stay with that team and that would have to be figured out. But do you think a loan system like they use in soccer would be beneficial and work in the NBA? It could. I think the argument would be that they would rather just put a guy on their G League team and have them. But that's not the same type of competition. It's not the same type of competition, but also they're playing a lot more than they would for, you know, in Turk's case, if he goes to Charlotte, there's no guarantee he plays at all. And that. Like that's one of the pitfalls of the loan system in you know EPL, La Liga, etc. Is that you can send a guy to a place with the idea in mind, like mm-hmm. oh yeah, he's going to develop here, and oftentimes that doesn't actually happen because once he's out of your immediate purview, you are it's out of your hands at that point. Right, you, you can't, can't go to the to yeah. the manager of the team and say. Yo, what the fuck, man? You got to play this guy more. Once the terms are signed and they say, yeah, we'll pay his salary for mm-hmm. the season, they get to decide whatever they want to do with him. They also, the other side of it is, there are injury things that can pop up from that. Like some teams will run guys into the ground knowing, hey, that guy's on loan. We don't care if he has to play 40 minutes a game or in soccer, it'd be like plays the full right. 90 for – 30 straight games or whatever, rather than just, you know, we're going to be a little restrained with this guy. And, oh, mm-hmm. he's got a he's got a little injury issue. We're going to hold him back. We're not going to subject him to a strenuous workload. So the, the incentives are weird there, too, where they just want to get the best they can get out of him for that season rather than what's best for him in the long term. And then the other part of that sort of connected to that is that Maybe they want him to play a different role than he's playing in or for the Sixers, we would say in this example. Like maybe he goes, let's say Turk. Turk goes to the Charlotte Hornets, as you mentioned, a team like that. And you say, well, he's going to be a point more of a point guard here rather than an off guard. Well, then maybe he could develop things that he needs to for the Sixers. But then he could stagnate as an off ball guy with movement and the type of things that he needed to do might not be working on the right things. He could be developing bad habits on a younger team. Like it's the problem with it, with implementing it in the NBA 
is that there's no inherent structure to this. And teams are not designed in this way to be like loan friendly teams. Right. It over the long term, I think you could make it work because there would be teams that fashion themselves as we're a development type team and we're a, a team that will take chances on loan guys and cast offs and what have you. And there are clubs like they're I think Dortmund is probably the best example of a team that buys team buys players early when they're 15, 16, 17. Yeah, and then flip. And them. they give them tons of time. And that's the trade-off. They then sell those guys for, you know, tens of millions of pounds or euros or however you want to just say dollars since this right. is a two American guys talking podcast. And over time, you could create more infrastructure like that where, yeah, we know we're sending this guy to like the version of the Spurs that's just not trying to compete for a title. But I don't. I also don't think American sports teams are wired in a way where they say, we're just going to be a developmental club. We don't care or don't have aspirations to compete for a title. I don't think you can sell that to the fan bases, regardless of where you are. And that well, makes and I it think, tougher too. And I think too, like what you see in soccer is a team in the top division will loan a player to a team in a lower division where the, where that team then benefits from having a player they wouldn't have. Otherwise it helps them win, potentially helps them get promoted and so they have incentive to play them. Now, to your point, minutes, injuries, those are all things they have to think of. I'd be curious to see how fans would react to it. Like American fans aren't aren't built like this. They weren't, they're not conditioned to it. It's it's how things work overseas. Like imagine a world where the Sixers lend Turk to the Celtics, just as an example. And then in the playoffs, and I know you can't play against your loan team, whatever, but let's just say Turk then, you know, drops 12 points off the bench and the, the Celtics beat the Sixers. Like I also wonder how fans would react to this idea of a player they like, a player they want to watch develop, like then playing well against them or rooting for them. And a lot of times people want to stay with where they got loans. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how American fans would react to it. The other thing related to that that I was actually thinking about this week, why do soccer teams in Europe, but I guess just everywhere outside of America, frame someone's salary as per week rather than a year dude and well they call them wages which is also interesting but like i i think it's so weird like in america it'll be hard to make 36 million dollars a year in in overseas like in the epl and i'm assuming they do this in la liga and league one and all that like yeah it's like he makes eight hundred thousand dollars a week i have i have no idea why like do well they so here i'm weekly I'm, let's do this let's do this right now i'm gonna We'll we'll do the conversion. So God, I hope this isn't math. Like how much, like no, figuring so out per week over. Tobias Harris this season is making thirty nine million two hundred seventy thousand one hundred fifty dollars. That's his right. I was going to put this in a calculator, for, but that was too specific. No, I'm, so I'm all you have to do is divide it by fifty two weeks. Right. So that means he will make roughly seven hundred fifty five thousand dollars a week. <laughs> it's, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> it's almost more absurd when you put it in those terms now again that's pre-tax and all that so right it's not the actual well, what do you think would piss fans off more phrasing it like that or phrasing it how we phrase it now because people also do the thing where it's like you know james harden makes x amount of set x amount of dollars every time every second he's on the court or whatever it is like they do that to prove a point 
what would piss fans off more hearing Tobias make 700,000 a week or hearing he makes whatever it is per, uh, per year? That's a good question. Oh, actually, I think so the per week thing would feel like an extra little stab, like an extra little twist. Do you want to know how much Nikola Jokic makes a week? Now God, God no. He probably calls it wages too, but go ahead. He, he makes over a million dollars a week. Well, do you see he got the SB NBA player of the year? Yeah, he deserved it. What you, like, <laughs> I guess. You're still guess. on this anti-Jokic crusade, I'm man. fine That's, with him getting it. I'm fine with him getting it in that. Instance you're you're because, dead along with the dinosaurs, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm holding out on that. Here's the thing about a take. Eventually, it's always right. I just got to hold on until next year when he gets bounced in the second round, and I can, uh, I can take the victory lap. So, anyway, I think a loan system would be kind of interesting and cool. Like, it would also mean, hey, I'm watching a Charlotte game on a Tuesday because I want to see how Turk's doing. Like, I think there would be some cross-population in terms of growing uh, – you know, growing the audience for, for you're not getting game. me to watch the Hornets for Turk Smith. I'll tell you, uh, I'll, I'll get a, I'll get a, a Charlotte Turk Jersey if I have to at that <laughs> point, but all right. Um, the last thing we had written down, uh, the, uh, the flopping rule, we can, we can wrap it up with this. So the NBA put out that they're going to essentially, I forget the exact penalty, but like, if you're, if you're called for a flop, I think it's maybe a technical and a free throw or something like that. What do you think of the rule? And if Harden's back, like, How's this going to impact his game? In the spe- and I don't think Joel flops at all, but. Oh, come on. I man. don't, man. I don't like, oh, I don't think he okay. does it any more than any other player. Like, I, I don't think Joel is a flopper, in my opinion. Does he ha- Does he foul hunt? Yes. But I don't think he flops in the traditional sense that people hate flopping. Come on, man. You're just Dude, how, being like, dishonest, let's be real. Like, man. does he foul hunt? Yes, he fouls hunt. But I don't think he, like, he's not the Marcus Smart. There's no, like, super egregious clips out there that I can think of where he's, like, throwing his head back and doing all that. Elliot, you can't be serious. Right if, if you want to send me one, I, I will look, change I love I love Joel. I think he's a super talented player. The idea that he doesn't flop is just preposterous. But, but, but do you see what I'm saying? I think he foul hunts. For sure. Like he does the arm lifting and all that. I don't think that's what the NBA is trying to get rid of. I think they're trying to get rid of the egregious overacting on like charges and those type of things. I, I hope the people listening to the podcast later and not seeing this live stream. I was going to say, the look on your face is why you have the to look that the I have given Elliot like four times here. Of well, course send he me flops. Clips like, of course he flops. It's that's not even debatable. But do you see the difference in what I'm saying between foul hunting and, and flopping? There is a difference, but I'm saying that... But which would you qualify him more as? He does both. I don't, I don't know, man. Not... Like I, I don't think they made the flopping rule with Joel in mind, is the point I'm making. Maybe not just him, but he's certainly right. one of the uh, the guys high up high up the list, I would say. I don't think I don't he's... Know. All right, what do you think? Well, How, how's it going to impact? Well, there are two different conversations here. Does Joel get fouled a lot? Yes. Does he sell the contact well? Yes. He also flops on top of that. This is, that's not really debatable. Well, I remember when the Sixers played the Nets in the playoffs. I went on that Nets pod, and they were ripping Joel as a as a hardcore flopper. So maybe maybe I am wrong about this. I just I don't I can't think of many instances of Joel like throwing his head back or doing anything like that. So here's what I would say. I think it'll impact. Joel and James and the team the same way that every new rule change does. The first two months, and I'm including myself in this, there will be articles written, people on TV, people on podcasts 
talking about, oh, man, this is like really what a dramatic change. They're calling this way more. This is really bad for Joel and James and Marcus Smart. And you can just go down the list of players. And then in December, nobody's going to fucking care because they're going to stop calling it. And it's going to be the same way they've officiated NBA games for decades. And they're not going to do it in the playoffs. In theory, I would love for rules like this to be enforced. I actually think one of the best things that soccer did again, and we are not a soccer podcast, but well, really it might be an offseason soccer pod. Yeah. One of the best things they did on paper was saying a dive is a yellow card. Mm-hmm. They never fucking enforce it. Never. Guys yeah. dive in every single yep. game. And I could probably count on less than my two hands the amount of times I've seen a diving card given out in a game I've watched. And I've watched hundreds of games since they've implemented that rule. Flex. And they never, ever, ever call it. Yeah. And I, I just don't, it's one of those things where because it's a tech and because you only get two of those, I think officials and to some degree, rightfully so are going to say that's too steep of a punishment to give a guy who, well, maybe, and I don't know if this is exactly how it works, but if it is like a standard tech rather than like a defensive three seconds type of tech, I don't think they want to give them the guys and put them at risk of an ejection for a flop, essentially. I don't think that's how referees will look at it. So well, I other- tend to think it's good on paper, but it won't be used in practice. So. I agree with you for the most part on that. Where I would disagree is I think where people complain the most about the flopping is in the playoffs. Because the most people are watching, everyone's reacting to the game, like everyone's on Twitter or thread or whatever. And that's where the moments where I think the NBA might want it implemented because they're going to want to see or show people that this is being punished. So I agree that in general, that's how it goes with rules. Like first two months, they're calling it all the time and then it, it fades off. I do wonder if in the biggest games this year, maybe you will see more flops. You won't see it from Joel because he doesn't flop. But I wonder if you'll see it from uh, from other people. <laughs> Shaking your head. That's we that. really need to end the pod yeah. on that. Well, That's producer just... James put up put something in the chat saying he's going to put up a poll for later. Joel's not going to win that poll because Joel's not winning any polls right now. People hate him, but I'll continue to uh, to try to defend the guy. I guess so. Until next time, sometime next week. We will maybe have some more soccer references. Maybe we'll, uh, who knows what we'll do on the next pod. But we will be back next week. Thank you guys, everyone that's listening. I always say at the end, and I should say at the beginning, but thank you so much to everybody that's listening, especially in season, but off season too. If you're still riding with us, if you're still with us 56 minutes into this, you are a true one. I I, I love you for it. And thank you guys to everyone that's uh, that's become listeners of the pod. So Kyle, until next time, man, uh, talk to you later.